every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. Come on around back Arizona on this beautiful Arizona Saturday morning, third Saturday of the month. We have Jay Harper in the studio with us talking about all things gardening, growing related, landscaping. If you'd like to join the conversation, have a question about your landscape or garden, one 767 4348 That's one rosie for you Text questions can be sent to 411-923. And if you need to Snap a photo and send a picture with a little planter insect identification help. You can send that to info at rosieonthehouse.com. In spite of no rain for months and months and months and months and non-soon, my landscape's looking pretty good. A little bit of extra time at home, a little bit of extra tender <laughs> yeah. love and care, a, few, a little more pruning on the trees, a little more mowing on the lawn. Uh, people are people are setting gardening records for hours spent in the in their <laughs> gardens and landscapes, for sure. And uh, and it, you know you can kind of tell, and it, you know people are sprucing things up and putting a little bit of color here and there where they haven't in the past. And I see I see piles of landscape rock and pallets of pavers in a lot of in front of a lot of houses in a lot of neighborhoods. There's a lot of a lot of home fixing up, home redecorating, home landscaping, regardening going on for sure as people have been limited where they can go and how comfortable they are going and they're investing in their uh, own backyard vacation oasis paradise. So, can only stay cooped up inside so long. Got to get out and do something. Well, and aren't we lucky to have to live uh, in a place where – yeah, it was hot this summer, but if you had a swimming pool, you could still go outside and do some stuff. Didn't get neat, didn't get eaten up by mosquitoes like you did some places in the country. And now, you know, we're, cooling off, but you're we're not. In, we're in our down in snow. We're in our glory, and it can get you know snow all at once up north. We're gonna be able to go outside, and um, so we're we're fortunate in that respect. And there's certainly nothing better than getting some exercise and fresh air uh, if you're worried about, you know, some kind of virus floating around, you know, just get out and breathe some good fresh air. Get your hands dirty. And get your, you know, if you, if you uh, swallow enough dirt and chicken manure, you're probably going to be immune to something. (laughs) 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 Something about just that, that, that soil on your hands when you're working the garden, it just, brings it all home and now's a great time to put in a vegetable garden in fact absolutely we always have the great intention of getting started earlier but i kid you not it doesn't seem like we're ever able to get it done until thanksgiving week where you've got a couple days Mm -hmm. off in a row and i always think it's so late this is pointless but we still always have a great winter garden. Isn't that the beauty of the winter garden, though, is that you can plant it for many, many months. Even if you plant it early, you could be planting another go-round about now. So you had stuff you were harvesting, and then you're planting again. And you could do that several times before it gets too hot to grow those winter veggies. And, and again, those are the things we typically eat the roots of, the leaf of, or maybe a modified stem or blossom of uh, are what we call winter vegetables in the desert southwest. 
Um, so, you know, lettuces and spinaches and leafy greens and carrots and beets and turnips and, um, you know, things like cauliflower and broccoli and, and that sort of thing. So, and, and it frankly, it's been warm enough. You're, you're t- I had some pep- peppers that were holdovers from last spring and boy, they love this weather right now. They're setting fruit like crazy. And, uh, but, uh, it's a great time to, to garden. It's, you know, you, the weather's perfect and, and you got lots and lots of options to plant this time of year. So, you know, take advantage of it. When was the last time you saw somebody put a garden in the ground? Oh, you know, I still see it pretty regularly. People, especially if they need, if they have a big family or they're doing a big area. And, you know, you're seeing lots of little community garden, you know, like a neighborhood garden that's in the ground that's maybe a, a vacant lot in a neighborhood that the neighbors have all gone together and and done that. And, you know, that that's where, although I've seen big above ground gardens where they've gone in and put lots of individual little above ground apparatuses out of various things. There's one in, uh, maybe it's in Detroit, where they took all, they take uh, used little the little kids swimming pools, oh, yeah. at, and poke some holes in the bottoms of those and use them for for above ground gardens and they have hundreds of them. But if you have a garden of any size, the economics just sometimes don't dictate an above ground garden. Now I had a homeowner call me at the office, just moved here and was setting an above ground garden, and her question was, "What local area compost?" Mm-hmm. You know, okay. once I've once I've erected my little raised planter, then what? Okay. Well, there are numerous places that you can um, that you can buy, uh, you know, compost or uh, recycled green waste. If you live in the city of Tempe, I think you can go down and and pick up whatever you can get in your truck for like twenty bucks or something like that. Tempe has their own program. Um, but uh, Sing Farms in uh, South Scottsdale, North Tempe area, down by where Big Surf is, makes compost. Um, Growwell companies who have been here forever, and they're down by the dump off 27th Avenue. A lot of nurseries and garden centers sell bulk. Uh, well, I shouldn't say a lot, but some nurseries and garden centers. Uh, I was up in Star Valley making a delivery the other day. They were loading somebody up. Uh, the back of their truck with some uh, compost or mulch in bulk. So check your check your local garden centers, uh, Sing Farms. Is, uh, is Sprinkler World still around, or, or Sprinkler did they World get picked still, up by somebody? No, Sprinkler World is still owned uh, by Dick Wheelock. They're still locally and independently owned. Yeah. Um, so there are there are uh, uh, Pioneer Materials. A lot of the Sand and Rock places sell bulk compost. Now. Uh, at my garden, I've got to fight everything. Mm-hmm. I've got to fight the birds coming from the top. Yeah. Uh, and then when the birds get in, then I got to fight the bird dogs that are going in after the birds. Uh, and then I've got the the boring Grounds, gophers. Ground gophers yeah. and uh-huh. so to do a raised planter, is there a is there a barrier you can put before you put the compost in that would protect the raised garden? From being invaded from below. Well, you could use, you know, chicken wire or a hardware cloth or something like that. Okay. Um, uh, absolutely. And then maybe put a little ground, uh, 
landscape fabric over the top of that if you wanted to. So a little double layer, okay. although they can they can cut right through that stuff. But um, but yeah, a mesh something that's not so fine that it might get gummed up with yeah. with and not drain eventually. Yeah, that's but, important. But uh, certainly you can use you know a, a screening mesh chicken wire type product and i would probably just do it even if you don't suspect you might have that problem just why not it's a whole lot easier to do it first oh man than to try and have to shovel everything out but and there's nothing worse than going out to the garden and seeing this one little head of lettuce you've been waiting on for two weeks pulled down get sucked it gets sucked (laughs) gets sucked underground it's gone and like the the bugs bunny cartoon (laughs) exactly exactly oh that's discouraging yes it is it's it's that's discouraging and bird you can go up to pick that one you had your eye on that one peach or that one piece of fruit and you you grab it and you turn in the backside's all gone you know somebody beat you to it by half a day It's, so lot, lots of lots of everybody likes a good garden, even the critters. Even the critters, yeah. I think what was your term you used once, Rosie? You got to have a plant prison. My my all... garden is a plant prison. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you but might my as well garden build... does look better than it's ever looked. I'm I'm getting more out of, it. and it's amazing. Like Romy says, what just a little bit of extra available time I, will I, do for a garden. I, I don't do many of them anymore, but I used to give lots of talks to garden clubs. And I would ask them, how many of you play golf? And they'd raise their hand, how, many, how often do you play golf? You know, <laughs> once a week, twice a week, a couple, three times a month. How many of you play bridge or cards and how, you know, chess? And I said, how many of you garden? Everybody, of course, everybody raised their hands. Well, how often do you, you know, if you want to be as good at gardening as you are at <laughs> golf or bridge or horseshoes <laughs> or checkers, then do it as often as you do that, right? And you would be as good. So it, it, it does. It takes observation. You've got to get out there and see what's going on. You catch the, the critters before they've done a lot of damage. You catch the fact that you're maybe over or underwatering by the fact that you're just out there observing and looking at the plants and the soil and just spend some time out there and your garden will be better for sure. Or you're eyeballing that ground cover or that spurge and you're catching it. I mean, once you've once you've gained control of the weeds in a platted garden, it's much easier to maintain it yes. than, than to go out there every three weeks and find a corner of it completely overtaken. Yes. In fact, it's almost, I won't say it's, well, it is. It's almost fun if you just have two or three that you need to bend down there and grab them when they're little. And and I have a little contest with myself to make sure I can get pull it <laughs> just right to get the roots and everything out. Yes. Know? So, um, yeah, th- then it's a it's a pleasure. It's not a chore to do a little weeding. It's, it's good for your back. You bend over, you stretch, stretch those hamstrings out. Um, Want to get... Katie in here to do a do a uh, exercise gardening I class. Can't, I but. can't even walk. I was in her gym yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm her. I'm a hurting unit today. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you.
Well, the first questions that we've gotten this morning are all about ryegrass, which is actually perfect timing because I've got a guest on the line, Jay Danik, who has a blog uh, that I was just reading this week. Okay, so now that you've got your winter, winter ryegrass planted, now what? So we'll do a little segment here with Jay Danik. Welcome to the program. Joining us on the line. Talk to us about what, uh, well, first first off, it, it's West Coast sod, and you guys are pretty much the people that, the, the, the Bob sod is the. the <laughs> people probably don't the, know what Bob is anymore, though. Right. <laughs> I, I still don't even know what the proper name of it is supposed to be now. I got, <laughs> once the name stuck in my head, I can't rename it. <laughs> Jake, good morning. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Good. So. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a little background on Bob Sod. Obviously, <clears throat> for those that have been around Arizona, the original Diamondbacks field was uh, sponsored by Bank One, and the ballpark was called Bank One Ballpark. And that was the first sod that we put in there that really took off, and it became a kind of a instant hit with homeowners and landscapers and golf courses. So we changed the name uh, to Bob Sod and. 20 years later, it's still stuck around, even though the stadium changed 10 years ago. People still call it Bob Sod, and easy enough for us to keep it. Good to build a brand. <laughs> it is. <laughs> can't, can't change it now. No. Uh. <laughs> and I have seen a ton of, of winter lawns going in. Uh, we've got two J's on the line here. So we got Jay Harper and Jay Danik. So I'm just going to switch to last names here real quick. Mr. Harper always says, if you want to save water and you have a lawn, the winter lawn's the one to have because it takes less water and you're actually in the type of weather that you can go out and enjoy it as opposed to our Bermuda in the summer where it's it's too hot to go out and enjoy. Exactly. No, he's, he's exactly right. Once you get it established after the first few weeks, I mean, you're realistically cutting your water back to two, three times a week. And then once we get into December, January, February, you can get away with twice a week. And you can definitely save a lot of water just by having a good winter lawn. Yeah, there's been years, like last winter, I, don't, I didn't water all winter. Probably didn't water it all winter. Yeah, you, you, it, it really depends on how aesthetically pleasing you want it. And obviously the weather patterns. You know, if we get if we ever got rain around here, yeah. then you can probably on. go every ten to ten days to fourteen days. Yeah, let's hope we, we can hope. <laughs> it does. It doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon. No, it show. doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. But uh, yeah, other than the burst of water that you use to germinate the seed, it's it's a pretty low water affair. And I guess my my argument is the fact that you know the concept of xeriscaping or responsible landscaping, you you do the type of landscaping that you're going to actually take advantage of. And, you know, we have a lot of people that have, you know, s- nice Bermuda lawns that they look at through their living room window, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and other than maybe the dog walking on it. So uh, as far as lifestyle landscaping, you know, right, you know, the winter lawn is certainly. Uh, oh, and it's always a prettier grass. There's, oh, there's no question that ryegrass is the better looking of, any grass that's on the market. I, I, I think uh, I think you might share alma maters with my brothers, and they just they just said, "Well, that's the only real grass we really have." <laughs> <laughs> They're the Colorado State guys, and they just like this. This other stuff is it is pretty when you mow it. You can you can you know if you want to get real fancy on your mower and get a bar, you can stripe it like the ballparks do. You can do all kinds of stuff, right? 
Oh, definitely. And there's and there's so many new Bermuda grasses and paspalums, and we actually have a new water-saving grass called Carapia that's more of a ground cover. Um, I'm sure you've heard of like the old Lipia right. um, from back in the day that's right. really done well, that really only uses about 20% of ET now. So it's kind of a new go-to the last few years that we've seen a lot of people go to that don't want to really do much to their lawn. They don't even want to mow mm-hmm. very little water and it's uh it's it's a great alternative. So there's there's definitely a lot of good things in the market. You know, the breeders are still looking for that year round ryegrass and they get closer every year. But you know, in the meantime we're stuck kind of making the switch every year and my kids would love that if you could do that because they always call it when when do we get the soft grass back? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how tall can ryegrass get? Because I've seen some lawns where it seems like they're letting the blades get six, seven inches tall, even after a mow, um, my, my mower doesn't go that high. <laughs> that's, that's obviously a personal preference. You know, I mean, I, ideally you would be somewhere probably in the one and a half to three inch range. You know, the longer you keep it, the obviously the less water you're going to use. And, you know, six inches might be a little aggressive, but yeah, can it be done? If you could set the mower that high, it, it, it could definitely work. And so the taller the grass, the, the less water? You're, you're going to use a little bit less water on that. So um, it just doesn't need as much maintenance um, as some of Like if you're, like golf course-wise, you know, you're keeping a grass at a half inch to an inch, somewhere in that range. And in order to keep it that short, your root system is also a little bit shorter in that too. So you've got to be a little more careful and add a little bit more water it so um just keeping a little longer keeps it does keep it a little healthier so generally i would say between an inch and a half and three inches is perfect just don't make the mistake if you you want to let it get long and then decide you want to shorten it up (laughs) of then just cutting it short um with any with any grass so exactly yeah you like you said you never you never want to cut off more than a third of the leaf blade at a time and if you're at six inches, you can pretty well expect that any work time you mow it, you're going to scalp. So it's definitely would be a gradual takedown on something like that. Jay Danik, it's westcoastturf.com, and you can sign up and follow along with his blog. Uh, it's Ask Mr. Wisegrass. That's a great name, Jay. There he is. <laughs> Thank you. Good to talk to you, Jay. Thanks. get right to the callers who are lining up at one 767 That's one 888 for you. Roger and Tonopah first on the line. Welcome to the program. Hello. Yes, I have a rainbow eucalyptus I planted probably. It was as tall as me when I planted it six years ago, and it's about 30 feet tall and six or seven inches in diameter at the base. Now, it's... Uh, it's in a place where it gets an awful lot of water, and, I, and I'm, I've got clumps. I wouldn't say clumps, but it's portions of the tree that are turning brown like they're, they're dying or something. Is that normal for a rainbow eucalyptus? I don't know what they're actually supposed to look like. Well, I'll tell you, Roger, this summer we saw lots of things turn brown that don't <laughs> normally turn brown. Um, you know, trees that have that have been pretty summer hardy and heat tolerant over the years that did not fare well with, I forget how many, it was almost 60 days of 110 
degree weather uh, when we normally get 15 or 20. Uh, the problem with those days is that means the, the low uh, for that day was, you know, in the mid to upper 80s. Um, so the plants don't ever have a chance to recover. So my, my suspicion is that, you know, eucalyptus are not a native tree to here. They're, you know, they're Australian natives, and, and Australia has lots of different climatic zones, just like Arizona does. And, and I don't know what, what a rainbow eucalyptus is used to or able to tolerate, but my guess is it's just summer heat stress that showed up, and it doesn't matter sometimes how much you water something. If it, if it is not genetically designed to tolerate those kind of temperatures, it's not going to. So uh, that that'd just be without seeing it, without knowing any more about it. I'm not that familiar with rainbow, quote-unquote, eucalyptus, but a lot of trees that normally do okay here in the summer uh, and other types of vegetation uh, have not fared well. So that that'd just be my guess. So is there anything action-wise he needs to do or just give it a year to recover? Well, I, you know, I would water, probably continue to water it properly, fertilizing it, you know, certainly. Probably have to gonna, probably going to have to do some trimming and remove some of the dead tissue if it's not showing any signs of, of uh, sprouting any new growth from those areas. That they're, you know, the, the easiest way to tell is just go to those limbs and kind of give them a little twist and see if they are brittle. If they snap and they're brittle, they're dead. There's no reason to leave them on there. Um, you might as well remove them now that we're in the cooler weather um, and just, you know, hope that we never, ever, ever, ever repeat that, <laughs> that summer type of summer again. You know what's great about, about the, trimming? about the whole 2020? Well, yeah. <laughs> let's just not repeat just, any of 2020. That's, that's, that'd be a good, that'd be a good I'm, I'm order. Sorry. I'm sorry, Gary. Go no, ahead. I was going to say, you know what's great about trimming eucalyptus trees? It's like someone opened up barrels of Vicks Vapor Rub. You can, uh, the radio that's station true. I worked at had trees all around the parking lot. One morning I came in, they were being trimmed. I just sat out there and went... <sighs> Yeah, God, and then good. run them through the chipper and have all those. Uh, oh, that. even better. Yeah. <laughs> Mulch. Yeah. My pecan trees, you know, they are they say you're really not getting a, a good harvest seven to, until seven to ten years, and I'm right at that. Uh-huh. So I didn't have much expectation, you know, still for a couple more years. But for the last three years, every year, we've had some amount of pecans growing. I don't have a single pecan tree growing on on any of the four Uh, trees sure well it doesn't (laughs) shock me yeah so one of the things they'll do is slough fruit because that takes a lot of moisture out of the plant so plants plants have you know their way of self-defense and uh and certainly losing fruit not allowing it to continue to develop will be one of the things they'll do or the pollen it was too hot for the pollen to be viable there's a lot of reasons why it wouldn't have but yeah it doesn't shock me the citrus have done fairly well. Um, that that has surprised me. I thought I wouldn't get as good of a, a harvest. As- uh, you know, I'm surprised we're not getting calls about splitting fruit, you know, and, and those calls that we normally get when we have those kind of temperatures. But uh, um, And yeah. the splitting fruit just a lack of water. Well, or just so much intense sunshine, it just burns the edge of the fruit or the skin. And then when it starts to size up late in the summer and going into the fall— when they put their last burst of sizing or growth on, that skin has lost its ability to stretch. And it, it's just a spot of sunburn. Um, and, you know, we didn't have very many cloudy days, very much humidity. And, and uh, 
So I would have suspected we'd have had more calls and maybe maybe just nobody wants to talk on the phone. I don't know, but <laughs> I, I got to believe there's a lot of that. But you're right. My citrus trees actually fared pretty well. Um, of course, my water bill fared well, too. <laughs> my contest with Rosie on uh, cutting water, I, I didn't even uh, threw that out the window this summer. Well, you mentioned phone. It is funny how much times have changed. I remember people used to sit on hold 40, 50 minutes. Wouldn't be uncommon as we took our time to get through calls. We started that break with three callers on the line, and the other two hung up before we even got to (laughs) They're like, oh, we'll just text. We'll just email. We'll just text the email later. So if you'd like to jump on the line, it's 1-888-767-4348. That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. When the auto attendant answers, just hit one to bypass the message. Text can be sent to 411923 or email at info at com. Sorry, I have a question from one of the callers that did not hang on. So they have oleanders in all along the perimeter of the property. And right embedded in that hedge of trees is their gas line. So they've had them blue staked. They want to have them completely removed. <laughs> Rosie, so uh, I'd have APS on standby. <laughs> yeah, that's more than just pulling trees. That's a big job. It's a mix between Agent Orange, nuclear explosions, backhoes, and a fire. <laughs> what, would, what would be your recommended course of action? Oh, get Southwest Gas out, kill the line. Yeah, uh, yeah. They're no, blue stake isn't. Yeah, yeah, if it's running in there, they're going to tear it up in multiple yeah. places because the only. The only way to really get rid of them is get a back, you know, cut them, cut them down short, and then get the backhoe out there and and start at one end and, you know, start excavating them out. And and even if you wanted to do it yourself and the old redneck way with a chain and a pickup <laughs> and pop them out, you're still going to pull the gas line out. Well, this gal yeah. was willing to spend the money to have somebody. She was just double checking who would she uh, hire. A good grading and tractor, uh, yeah. probably a. More of a grading and tractor, uh, but start with Southwest Gas. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just get the line turned off. Okay. See how old I've been. I called it APS. <laughs> APS used to have the gas <laughs> Southwest Gas. Yeah, yeah. and now then what, and now probably if, get a tree, uh, somebody to come in. They don't have to have any skill, but the ability to haul all that material away and cut them down to, you know, a foot or two above the ground, because, you know, that you might as well get rid of that first. So. And then thinking through that, so you've got all the trees removed, you've turned the gas off, APS is there, or SRP is there, and you pull them out, and then who's going to repair that, who repairs that line? Well, you'd have a plumber would then have to come replace that line. If they tore it up. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, it might be an opportunity to relocate that line, because if you've lived with the oleander hedge there, with the privacy it provides, uh, and you're not putting up a block wall, what would... What would be an alternative plant to consider? Well, sour orange would be the first thing I'd consider. Okay. I think they make a lovely hedge. Um, They're pretty fast-growing. They don't get near as wide uh, and intrusive as oleander does. Um, You know, it's pretty heat-tolerant and pretty cold-tolerant. A lot of people would use ficus. My only fear with ficus (laughs) is the cold. (laughs) Um, we've certainly forgotten as many ficus as I see being sold right now. We've forgotten what happens oh, when they get cold. But um, 
But sour orange would be a, would be a great uh, alternative if you didn't want something that would get quite as big. They certainly get plenty tall enough for privacy. So. And when you mentioned the chain and truck trick, um, I always include this. I don't know who it was. I, I wish we had captured his name, but it was a farmer in Rainbow Valley. We were talking about ripping plants out with a truck and a chain. And he said, and, and I, I, I've done this every time and it works beautifully. You need an extra rim. Get another wheel. Not with a tire on it, because if you've got a rim, you've got a, it, it'll stand up by itself. Okay. You, you know how hard, you can't get a tire to stand up by itself. Right. With the rubber on it. So you get that extra rim and you roll it right up uh, as close to the chain as you can get it after you've already tied it to that, uh, you know, l- root whatever ball. root ball it is. Uh-huh. Then roll that wheel up as close and put the chain over the top of it and then hook it up to your truck. So now when you start rolling with your truck, instead of the root ball getting dragged through the dirt, it's getting pulled straight it pulls up, it up and it pops it up and it it works beautifully. Interesting. They've redone the um, arena where we board our horses and that's how they got them out. So little old guy pulled them right out. Yeah, it's... It, it makes the job 10 times easier, and it's a lot less hard on your truck. You can search and see plenty of examples of people flooring it. Oh, and pulling their bumper the, the tra- off. And, yeah, pulling the rear differential out. <laughs> One of them was even a quad that flips over backwards. Oh, like, oh. a quad, yeah. Like- well, it was, it was uh, like a, a roll cage, so yeah, it was yeah. more like a sand rail. And okay. it's like, how much damage did they just cause to that machine? <laughs> oh, boy. Floor it, Cletus. <laughs> <laughs> you got to. Got to add the wheel. That that's huge. Now, um, the red push pistache comes up a lot. Uh-huh. We were talking about the ficus and a and a good replacement for that. And there was even a time when uh, when we were talking trees, we had three arborists in, and somebody was asking for a specific tree, and all three of them independently recommended the red push specifically as part of their for... list. <laughs> I can't believe it wouldn't be on in everybody's list as a recommended tree. Now, if this is more of a screening hedge type thing, I don't know that it would be a great choice for that. But as far as a, a, a hardy tree, even even those as bad as this summer was, I have I don't think I've seen any of those really suffer. Well, and I've got four on the west side of our arena to shade the, sure. the boxes, and they are slow growing. And I think that's the one thing everyone says they they. They are slow growing. Slower, so to... although I wouldn't say if with the right care and they're not as slow as people try to make them out to be. Well, if you want to see a great example of how beautiful those trees can be, at the Holiday Inn in Wilcox, we were there for a rodeo two weekends ago. Okay. They've got six beautiful, huge red push pistachios trees. So if you're out in that area and you want to see just what... Uh, well, those trees can and, be. And, and there's a testament to how tough it. Wilcox is 4,500 <laughs> feet, 4,000 foot elevation. And it gets, windy. gets cold and windy <laughs> there. So they take extreme heat and extreme cold very well. I, I don't think there was a time the wind was less than 20 miles an hour. And there, you'd step out sometimes to go do your run, and the sand would be blowing so bad you'd have to get goggles on just to go get wow. the arena. Yeah, was, I believe it. It was bad. But they, I've I, I stopped everyone in the family. I'm like, look. This is what the trees behind our boxes are going to be one day. And like, when, Dad? I'm like, well, I can't tell you when, there's but a, this is a, what we planted. There's a <laughs> Trust me, they'll get there. strip office development on McKellips Road at about Stapley that was built right 
in in 07 or 08, right as things just fell apart. And that place, that that little development was got landscaped and then abandoned. Water was turned off. I mean, it was shuttered and the water was turned off. Nobody ever moved in, no tenants. And everything in that landscape died except the red push pistache. Interesting. Even the date palms. The date palms died. I think there's a few Palo Verdes there that made it, but those things lived through that for several years without any water. And there's a few. I noticed 67th Avenue this week, north of the 101, has a number of red push. They've got oaks and red push. If you want to know the difference, you oaks generally, you know, my, my, my standard for the oak was the Harper's Nursery at Scottsdale. It was a lot bigger than the red push. Yeah, but, yeah. And, and these, in this setting where they're in the uh, gravel and a hardscape, the red push are the ones that are bigger than the oaks. And then the new northern parkway, half of the trees along that are the red push. The other half are mesquite, so it's really easy to tell yeah. the difference. But that, that tree is really uh, changing landscaping yes, in is. Arizona. Well, there we gone and done it. We mentioned ficus, and what do you know? We got a ficus call on the oh, line. Oh, yeah. one 4348 That's one rosie for you. Lynn, good morning. Good morning. I have a green gem ficus that my husband has grown into a beautiful canopy tree over a garden area. But the berries are driving me nuts, and... I'm just wondering, is there anything you can do to stop the the fruiting on that tree? I, it doesn't need to grow anymore as far no. as I'm concerned. It's well, tall there, enough. The, <laughs> so is there any way I can stop the berries? There are some fruit elimination products on the market um, that we used back in the day a lot with olive trees when olive trees were very common and planted in the valley. And people, in fact, one of the products at that time was called Olive Stop. Um, I don't know that that product exists. I believe Monterey Company makes a product called Florel, F-L-O-R-E-L. It's called Florel Fruit Eliminator. And I would probably go online and research that product and see if it lists, because I don't know off the top of my head, if it lists ficus, it will eliminate fruit on a lot of things. Um, the key with that, though, is you it's timing. You have to catch it when the, the, the blooms are starting to open up, and it, you know, it basically stops the pollination process. The problem with ficus or any fig is that, that the bloom and the fruit are all kind of one and the same, and it's, so it would be very difficult to catch it. At a time, but I but I believe that it can also be used after the fruit has set at a certain rate for thinning fruit or knocking fruit off, and so that part that might work. That application, I would just either research it or even email or call Monterey uh, Chemical Company and see if they've had any uh, experience or success with it on ficus. Um, so there is a chance, yes. It would do wonders for our tree and our marriage, so that would be wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Good luck. We appreciate the call, and we've got a couple text questions that have come in. Uh, One person was asking about the citrus tree growing cycle. 
I don't know if they're asking for maybe the fertilizing cycle or... Uh, well, citrus trees, you know, they grow in, in, in spurts. They'll put on a lot of new growth in the spring. Obviously, that's their main time. But they'll also, after summer, like right now, that you'll see a resurgence of growth, some pushing some new growth as a recovery from the hot weather. Um, we recommend fertilizing them. Uh, the easiest way we've always talked about it here on the show to remember is uh, Valentine's Day, uh, Memorial Day, and Labor Day. So sometime in the, in the early spring, sometime in the early summer, and once again maybe in late summer um, to kind of help with that regeneration of new growth to recover from any summer damage. So if you'll time your fertilizers in those time frames, you're also kind of giving them nutrition at the times they are most apt to put on new growth. And then this one, how do I keep <laughs> my winter grass from clogging the bottom of my mower? <laughs> well, you know, if you, we, I, I, I was one of the things I wanted to get into it with, with Jay Danik from West Coast Turf, but in the old days, we used to plant a lot of annual ryegrass, and annual ryegrass gets real tall, and it's very wide-bladed and holds a lot of moisture, and it's very wet, and it, it's terrible at trying to mow it. Now, hardly anybody plants, although I did see annual ryegrass seed for sale in some facilities this fall. Um, I would, first of all, don't plant. If that's what you planted, don't do it again. Uh, you want perennial ryegrass. It's a blend of finer bladed grass, much easier to mow. The second thing is what, you, know, you may be watering too much. If you're trying to mow it and it's wet already, ryegrass is just inherently wetter. Um, so make sure your, your water is off maybe for a couple of days before you mow. Mow it later in the day. If you're mowing early in the morning, it also has, tends to have a lot of dew on it. Uh, this time of year. Wait till in the, maybe later in the day or in the afternoon. And lastly, you may be cutting. Jay Danik talked about only taking a third of the leaf length off when you mow if you're trying to remove too much growth when you mow. And then the final thing is make sure your mower blade is sharp. One last one I'm going to sneak in here. Martha one, is looking to replace oleanders, and she's got three options and she wants your recommendation on which of these three would be best hop seed fruitless olive or rosewood or none oh, of the above well those are all <laughs> those would all be fine uh I, I would i would say probably the fruitless olive might be the faster growing of those three it's a gray foliage though so you'd have to be okay with not having green but any of she couldn't go wrong with any of those really Jay Harper, The Farm's Choice. Thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us. Welcome.